Welcome to Bible Christian Church. We are so glad uh, that you are here this morning. Uh, my name is Chad. I'm one of the pastors here, and I get the privilege of bringing the message this morning. Uh, one thing I want to, to uh, talk to you about real quick before we jump into that is um, our, this big event we have coming up October 30th. It is our family movie night. Uh, we're going to be across the street, out in the field. We have a big, uh, the big inflatable uh, projector screen, and it's going to be a blast. This is for kids, this is for grandparents, aunts, uncles. This is for everybody. Family movie night. It's going to be fun. Um, you're going to want to be there. Bring a camera. Um, one of our, one of many of our pastors, including maybe <clears throat> lead pastor Brian, um, will be in costume. You're going to want to be here for this. I don't have to be. <laughs> I just could take pictures. So anyways, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, these little tickets, we're inviting every family to bring a family. We want to make this a big deal. In the uh, children's check-in area, the big, the big uh, blackboard you see there, yeah, on the left-hand side, there's a little, there's a little uh, container, a little holder, and it's got these clipped to it. You can grab these, invite people, uh, have your kids take them to school, invite kids. Uh, let's make this a great night. All the information on ordering your pizza and doing everything that you need to do for this, all the information on how to find it is all on this ticket. Uh, the website, you can use your app, all kinds of stuff, um, but... Uh, we're really excited about that. Uh, Jen and Katie, our, our children's directors, have put a lot of work into this, and uh, we're super excited to, to see this go. All right, so today we are in chapter 10. Uh, after today, it's hard to believe that we'll have been practically through a third of this series, uh, through, through a third of this book. Um, if you're new to us, uh, we're, we're going through the story. This is, um, the story is, is scripture that has been taken um, and, and put together in kind of a novel form. Uh, not all of the scripture, but the, kind of the main connecting parts. The idea is this. We want to see how, how God is the same and how scripture is consistent from beginning to end, from, the, from Genesis 1-1 all the way through the end, that God never changes, that, that the scripture is not a collection of stories, but one story about God rescuing us, pursuing us, chasing after us, creating us um, all through history. And so we've been going through that uh, chapter by chapter, and today we're in chapter 10. Chapter 10, uh, we're going to find ourselves in scripture, if, if you're looking at your Bible, uh, in the first part of 1 Samuel. Uh, it's gonna, we're going to range from 1 Samuel 1 all the way to 1 Samuel 15. That's kind of the, the, sec the section this chapter connects with. Uh, let me pray and we'll, uh, we'll jump into this. Jesus, I pray that um, these words would be yours, that this story that we're telling uh, about your faithfulness uh, comes from you and that the Holy Spirit, you would speak them into our hearts and you would guide us and teach us, Father. Uh, thank you for your love. Thank you for this time to, to gather together uh, to worship you, to, to declare your worth. So in Jesus' name I pray, amen. <clears throat> what do you know to be true about God? It's a question that we should be asking ourselves. It's a question we should be asking each other. It's a question that, that really is one of the most important questions of our life. What do we know to be true about God. Because what we know to be true about God is, is often going, is, is going to guide how we react to things and, and, and how we respond to, to people and situations. 
How many of you guys have ever done this? Let's see if you're kind of with me on this. How many of you have ever had an argument with a person who is not there? Come on. In the car, right? Someone responds to you. Someone says something to you. Situation happens. And you have a full-blown argument for like half an hour with this person who's not even present and has no idea that you're mad about something. Anybody with me? Yes. I've done that. I've done that. Oh, so many times. So many times. Now, and typically what happens when you get to the end of the argument, which is usually when you get to the end of wherever you're going if you're in your car, right? Because you're the whole time. And you have a chance to dig into the truth behind whatever statement would have ever happened. Most often you find, oh, there's nothing to be arguing about. <laughs> it's really not that big a deal, right? I have, I have done that so many times. I, I when I first started teaching, I, had a, uh, I was 45 minutes away from my, from my home. My, I, I taught in Beeler, Kansas. We lived in Sterling Lyons, Kansas. I had, I had a 45-minute drive, and something would have happened to the student or whatever, and da-da-da. And I had just in my head, I'm going. And by the time I get to the end of it, I'm like, well, that was silly. That's not really true. Right? Well, I've done that with God, too. How many of you guys have ever, ever ranted to God in your head? Like, you just... Something happens and, and, and all these accusations and these rants come out. God, why this one? Why this one? You need to. Well, when we get to the end of it, and God is so gracious for me to let me rant, because usually when I get to the end of my rants, what I find is this Oh, well, the truth is, this is really who God is. And even though that in my head I have been making a big deal out of something, when I remember the truth of who God really is, and he's let me rant, and he's letting me go, it's like, oh, that's right. God really is this way. Truth clarifies the nonsense, doesn't it? Truth clarifies all the nonsense that, that we can build up in our heads, these emotions and these feelings that, that we can let just run rampant, truth clarifies those things because truth stands by itself. Truth doesn't have to be explained. It doesn't have to be argued. It doesn't have to be defended because truth is whether we believe it or not. And God is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. God is truth, and he can stand on his own, and it doesn't change, and he doesn't change based on my emotions or my feelings. And today we're going to see that the Israelites struggled with this and should have asked that question of, what's true about God? Because the fact is the Israelites, over this time, day in and day out, season in and season out, have trusted their feelings instead of the Father. Israelite, the Israelite nation, most often we see them putting their faith, putting their trust into what they can see, what they can sense, and how they feel instead of the truth of who their father is. Let's take a little, kind of go back and go back to when Israelite, the Israelite nation was born, right? Uh, so the Israelites came out of, of Israel, who was Jacob. It's his 12 sons who come out of the, the 12 tribe who the 12 tribes come out of in Egypt and, and they, uh, they, 
in Egypt, and it's, it's good for a while, but then they just, they're having babies after babies after babies, and their population explodes, and Egypt gets a little nervous about them, so they oppress them, and they cry out to God, and God brings Moses. Moses comes in, you have all the miracles, and, and Israelite, uh, the Israelite nation now, as a nation, comes out of Egypt and begin, it's kind of birthed into this nation, this nation for God. All these miracles are happening, all these plagues, and they see this. And what's funny about Israel is that they see this and they're like, oh yeah, God's with us, God's with us, all right. Right up until the point where they hit the Red Sea. And then they cry out, ah, why'd you do this? Why'd you bring us down the desert? Why didn't you just kill us in Egypt? You just brought us out here to kill us. That is a cry they give over and over and over again, right? And God's like, I've got you. And he splits the Red Sea and Moses leads him across the, on dry land, right in the middle of the Red Sea. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, you're God. That's right. So they go, they keep going. And they keep going some more. And then they get a little hungry and they get a little thirsty. And they trust in those, those hunger pains and those thirst pains more than God. And they cry out again. Oh, why'd you bring us out here? You just brought us out here to kill us. Why didn't you leave us in there? And God's like, parents, you've heard that sigh? Come on. Do you think maybe I can bring you some food and water? I did all the miracles in, in Egypt. I brought you out. I split the Red Sea. Here's some manna. Here's some water. I've got you. They trust in those feelings more than God's ability to provide. They go to walk through the desert. God has a, a pillar of fire by day, uh, a pillar of fire by night, a pillar of smoke by day. He's fed them miraculously. He's, he's watered them miraculously. He brought them across the sea miraculously. They get out, and, and God calls Moses up on the mountain. He's got he's to give them all the instructions about this new nation. They get a little uncomfortable. They're not sure what's going on, and they want to follow an idol. Like two weeks, and they're ready to follow an idol. And they demand one, and Moses has got to come down and take care of business, and, and there would just more willing to follow their discomfort, to trust in the things they can see. They'd rather trust in a golden calf than in God and his ability to sustain them. And they go through this problem and they, God comes and he, he, he walks Moses through it and they get things solved and Moses finally gets him to the promised land, the place where they're going to go. Now, all God wanted to do was take his people from oppression to the promised land. From oppression to the promised land. And he takes them there. He says, okay, I've got you here. Now all I want you to do is I want you to go in and I'm going to hand you this place. I'm going to go before you and I'm going to give you this place. And all right, we're going to send some spies in to check it out. They, they go in, they check it out, they come back, and two spies are like, this place is amazing. We can take them. Let's go. And they're walking and tingling. Whoa, time out. Yeah, this place is amazing, but those people are huge. There's no way we can take them. They trust more in their inadequacies than God's ability to conquer because all he wanted to do was take them from oppression to the promised land. Set them apart as his people. And for that, they spend the next 40 years walking through the desert. And that generation is going to die off. Everybody but Joshua and Caleb, the two spies who said we can take it. 
God walks around for 40 years until everyone dies off and Moses and Aaron are left and Aaron dies off and Moses is left and they've come back to the promised land and, and God says, Moses, because Moses has, been, has had some struggles too and says, take a look at the promised land. There it is. And Moses dies. And Joshua now leads them across the river, across the Jordan and into the promised land. And they come up against Jericho and they defeat Jericho. Well, they don't defeat Jericho. God defeats Jericho, right? Because God just says, walls, boom, in. There you go. Take it. And they get in, they get into the promised land and God's walking through them just like God said he was going to do, right? He's fulfilled every promise he's ever said he, he, would, he would do. And they get in and what do they do? They trust more in their success than God's plan. Because God said, here's what I want you to do. Go wipe out the inhabitants. Go, I'm, I'm going to go before you. We're going to get rid of them. This is going to be your land. And they get in and they, they keep treasures and they decide not to to kick people out, and they, they just go, well, we've been successful. We'll just do our plan. That decision has been disastrous for that area from that moment until now because all the battles that have, ever, that have been going on in that area in the Middle East from that moment until now are because of that decision to not follow God's plan. After Je Joshua dies, we have this area of the time of the judges and the judges. We talked you know, yesterday about Ruth and this time where Israelites, the nation of Israel, time and time again, uh, they rebel and, and then they're, they're oppressed and, and then they've got to, they holler for, they cry out for rescue and God comes to them and rescues them and redeems them and they, they, then they rebel again and every generation, every other generation, it happens again. And they trust more in the security of having a person, a judge, take care of stuff than they do in God's desire for their obedience. Because all they ever had to do was just follow God. But time and time again, the Israelites trusted in their feelings above the Father. And this is going to lead to a decision that changes the history of the nation of Israel. And that's this. They're going to reject the king of kings for the king of man. We're going to jump into the story in, in Scripture kind of in the middle, and we'll back up a little bit and, and kind of figure out how we, how we got there. But in 1 Samuel 8, uh, in, your story, in your story, it's page 135, uh, 1 Samuel 8, 1 through 5, we're going to see uh, a couple characters that are in the story now. Uh, Samuel, we'll see how they come into there. But Samuel, who's a prophet, is, is, is uh, speaking to the Israelites and, and, and here's what they, they're going to say to him, uh, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 8. It says, When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. And they served at Beersheba, but his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old. And your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the nations have. 
Samuel, you're old. Kind of rude, right? Samuel, you're old. And your sons, they stink. They're not following anything. We have a problem. I think Israel, Israel really has this moment of clarity, a moment of recognition that the, 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 the path and the, the pattern that they have been going on now since God pulled them out of Egypt isn't working for them, right? You have a leader who leads you out of oppression. Um, you have some good moments. That leader dies, and then we, we, we go back into rebellion and back to oppression. And then we get a leader, and now that leader is old, and his sons don't follow his ways. And this is just the same thing repeating over and over and over again, like, whoa, time out. We can't have this anymore, which is true. Like, that moment is good, but... They trust more in themselves and in man than they do God. And they say, instead of, God, you're going to be our king, they say, we want a king like other nations. God who has pulled them out of Egypt to set them apart for him in the promised land. Remember, that's all he ever wanted to do, from oppression to the promised land, from not a people to the people of God. And they say, we want to be like everybody else. And they reject the king of kings for the king of man. How do we get, how do we get here? Like, how do we get to this spot? You ever, you ever been at that moment in life where you know you've made some bad decisions, you know things haven't gone right, and you're like, how in the world did I let it get to this spot? They've been trusting their feelings over their father, and, and at the end of the time of the judges, we find this woman named Hannah. Hannah is barren, she can't have kids, and she prays to God she wants a child for her husband. And God is gracious, and he, he gives her a child. And she says, I'm going to dedicate this child to the Lord. She names him Samuel. And when he is weaned, she takes him to the priest, uh, uh, priest Eli. And, and he is raised in the, by the priest Eli. Uh, the mom will come uh, see him once a year, bring him new clothes. And even as, um, even as a young man, even as, you, as a boy, uh, God begins speaking to Samuel. It hasn't happened for a while now. Scripture says that, that the, the prophets and the prophecies and the, and the word of the Lord hasn't come to, to people very much in the recent years. But he begins, begins speaking to Samuel about what's going to happen. And Samuel, even as a young boy, becomes a prophet of God. And as he grows up with, with Eli and Eli's two sons who um, are, are unjust and are horrible people, they walk through some battles, and, and uh, Samuel begin, is helping lead now. And uh, in this battle, the two sons of Eli die. And because of that, through some circumstances, Eli dies. And Samuel now becomes the leader of Israel. He is a judge. He actually uh, is on a circuit where he goes and he judges and, and uh, helps people decide right and wrong. He's teaching them, but he's getting old. He's done this his entire life, and he's getting old. And they want a king like everybody else. This call to have a king is a rejection of God as their one true king. So they've forgotten all these years, all these rescues, 
all these the times when, when people, whether it's Moses or Joshua or Judges, whether it's Samson or Deborah, or, or getting all these people that God has used to rescue them. What Israel has forgotten is that it wasn't them that did it. It was always God. It was God that rescued them. It was God that pulled them out of Egypt. It was God who, who fed them in the desert, who watered them in the desert, who rescued them, who went before them in battle. It was always God. Not the prophets, not the priests, not the judges. And when they forget the truth of who God is and what he's about, they're easily led by their emotions and their feelings into this moment where they declare, we want a king like everybody else. Samuel, here's the call, goes to God, and God says, Samuel, don't take this personally. It's not against you. It's against me that they've made this. And I, I want you to go back to them. I want you to tell them what it's going to require of them to have a king. What it's going to be. They know, they should know who I am. I've never required of them much. But here's what's going to require if you're going to have a king like everybody else. They're going to take your boys and they're going to put them into battle and they're going to die. They're going to take your girls and they're going to put them into service of the king. They're going to take your land. They're going to take your property to pay for all this stuff. And that king's going to get wealthy off of your things. And this is what's going to happen. And Samuel goes back to them. He says, this is what's going to happen. They're like, fine, we'll do that. Let us be like everybody else. Because they trust more in what they can see and more in what they understand than in God. The fact is they were willing to sacrifice their own kids their own children and personal freedom to, to have a king like every other nation, then dare to be obedient to the one true king. See, they know how a king works. They've seen that in other nations. They don't always know how God works. And that's uncomfortable. And, and the problem is that we as people, we, we are often... Um, uh, more comfortable with a messed up known, right? Uh, we are more comfortable to, to have a messed up known than have a chance at an incredible unknown, okay? We're way more comfortable in an in a, in a messed up known. We, it, it can be messed up, but we understand it. We know it. We're comfortable with that. Much more comfortable than the chance at an incredible unknown. The problem is that they don't really know God. They know of him. They know about him through these people, but they don't really know him. So Samuel calls the king. God leads him to Saul. Saul's a foot taller. Saul looks like a king, right? He's good looking, tall. He stands above everybody else. This is a king that everybody can get around, right? It looks like a king that everybody else would have. And this little small decision that they make that doesn't seem like a much consequence to them, this call for a king now is going to lead the nation of Israel for the rest of its time. For the rest of what we see in the Old Testament, it's, it, it's what we see are the, the, the consequences, both positive and negative, of the kings. 
Saul comes and he's the king and uh, there's some battles. He succeeds a few things in and um, they, they, they anoint him as king. But most of the time, his is an abysmal failure. In fact, as you look throughout the rest of the Old Testament, through the rest of the kings, maybe three or four do well. The rest of them lead the nation of Israel time and time again into failure and disobedience. I would like to look at the nation of Israel and, and wag my finger a little bit at them and, you know, and, and kind of rail against their decision and, uh, you know, man, how, how stupid can you be? But the, the relationship the nation of Israel has with God is paralleled with my relationship with God. See, God resided in their temple and God resides in my body in the Holy Spirit. So now I am the temple. Now I am the nation of Israel. I am the people of God. So the New Testament calls me. I am the people of God. I am, I am a, whole, a holy nation, part of a holy nation of believers and I'm just as capable of wanting a king and rejecting the king of kings as they were. And when I look at the nation of Israel and I, I want to get mad at them, I'm like, ah, what are you thinking? All I got to do is look in the mirror and I see the exact same thing, right? Because often I can trust my feelings and my emotions over my king just like that. But we have a God who doesn't run from that. When we look in Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel 15, we see something. We see a truth that we see about God. Remember that, that question, what's true about God? We're going to find a truth about God that has been the truth since we see God come into the picture in Genesis 1.1. And that's this. God pursues when we run. Page 141 in, your, in the story, uh, 1 Samuel 12, 19 through 25, Samuel has given his farewell speech, and he's telling the people of Israel uh, kind of a, a recap of where they're at and what they've done, and it cuts them to the quick. And they speak back to Samuel. It says this, the people all said to Samuel, pray to the Lord your God. Pause. Who's God? Your God. Not our God, not my God. Pray to the Lord, your God. It's not even their God. We see a problem there. Pray to the Lord, your God, for your servants so that we do not die. For we have added to all other sins the evil of asking for a king. Here's where we see the truth of God. Do not be afraid, Samuel said. You have done all this all this evil, yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you, but because, uh, because they are useless. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people. Because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. The Lord was pleased to make you his own. As for me, far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good and right, but be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. 
Yet if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will perish. God was pleased to make the nation of Israel, knowing full well they were going to reject him. And the same is true with us. God is pleased to bring you into his family. God was pleased to rescue us. God was pleased to bring salvation for us, even though he knew we would time and time again fall. God was pleased to have us part of his family. Even in their sin, if they will serve God, he will faithfully be with them. Even out of their failure of the kings comes the one true king. Do you know how pleased God was for us to be with him? Out of the kings, Saul is going to fall and another king is going to come into play here that God's going to bring a king after his own heart. And out of that king, out of the lineage of that king, will be the one true king, the king of all kings, Jesus. Right? The king who came to, to serve and die for us. The king who came to redeem us once and for all, even out of all the sin, even out of all the evil, even of all the reje- out of all the rejection, God is pleased to bring us into his house, into his family, so pleased that in fact he would, he would bring his son into play, his one and only son, and allow him to come to this planet as our one true king, Jesus. If we will trust in him more than our feelings and our emotions. See, this is not about uh, a, a clinical thing. These feelings and emotions I'm talking about, this is the, the nonsense thing, that, stuff that we like to have rolling around in our head, right? Um, there, there are those who struggle with uh, anxiety, struggle with, with uh, some mental health issues who need professional help, and that is, that is absolutely perfect. That's, that is fine. I'm, I'm glad we have that available, right? But day in and day out, there's these emotions and these feelings that, that, can, that can roll over some, and roll around in our head that get us off track from the truth of who God is. Who is God? He is God Almighty. He's our creator, our sustainer, our provider. He is love. He is one who is pleased to have us in his family. And it is good for us to know that and remember that. What do we do? What do we do with that? Have faith in who God is above how you feel. Have faith in who God is above how you feel. When the feelings come and the emotions come and you're arguing in your head and everything seems like nonsensical, have faith in who God is above how you feel. How do we do that, right? There are times when it requires professional help and that is is great, having professional Christian counselors walk us through things is often needed. But first and foremost, uh, let's look at what we have available. We have scripture that speaks of the truth of God. Scripture that tells us who God is, right? I think as, as the people of God, we need to be ones who are in that word studying it. 
studying it day in and day out, not to make a checklist, but to, to know who God is so that when those times come and when things get out of whack and when things get kind of weird, we can take our feelings and we can take our emotions, we can take the things that we have been seeing and doing and we can set it against Scripture and go, is this true? Is God, this is how I feel, this is what I'm thinking, but is this true to what Scripture says about God? We can remember who, what God has done for us and who God is. God, uh, when we look back at our life and we see all the, way, all the ways that God has walked with us and, and helped us through issues and helped us with problems and got us through things, when we look back, we can see, no, you know what? God is here. When we don't feel God, when we don't sense God around us, when we look back and realize that God has been with us all the time, we can stand that against our feelings. We can stand that truth that God will never forsake us. And we can know what's true about him. We do this best in community. Not, not a bunch of people who are just going to agree with us, right? That's what the Israelites had. Everybody would just agree with each other and they, then they would all lead themselves off into some trouble, right? I mean, we have friends that just like, if you rant, they're gonna rant with you. Like, oh, this is horrible. And they're like, oh yeah, that's horrible. And they don't help you at all. They're great people, right? They don't help you at all because they're just with you on whatever emotional path you're going on, right? But have a community of believers who understand who God is, who could go, oh, time out, time out, time out. Let's take a look at who God really is. Maybe, maybe that thought isn't the best way to go. Who could walk with you in the truth of God, in the truth of Scripture. Man, that's, that's precious. And in prayer, giving up your emotions and your feelings and, and, and the craziness to God. And maybe that means hollering out to God and, and, just, and just ranting. I will tell you that for me, if God is not one who is big enough to take my rants and take my nonsense, he's not big enough for me to serve. God created emotions. They're not a bad thing. Feelings are not bad until we trust them more than God himself. And time and time again, when I've, when I've, I've got myself worked up and I hand it off to God, and sometimes that is just, just ranting by myself, and God allows that to happen. He comes alongside me afterwards. He says, are you done? Are you done? All right. You remember who I am? Yeah, God, I do. Okay, now let's get to work. God can deal with our junk. And the end of that is obedience. Be obedient of all things. Uh, a great uh, professor that used to be at Ozark Christian College uh, said this, uh, Bible study is never finished until it ends in obedience. Because you can't really trust the word of God until you've been obedient to it and see it be fulfilled. And I would say our faith is the same way. Faith is not, is not finished until it ends in obedience. When God asks us to do something that is outside of what we can figure out, and we step into it, not knowing exactly how it's going to work, and all of a sudden it does work because God's right there, and we go, oh, well, God is with me in this, isn't he? God will carry me through this, won't he? Because God will always carry us through the things he calls us to do. Always. It's a promise for him that never fails. He will be with you. He will carry you in and through everything that he calls us to do. 
And when we step into obedience, we gain new faith about who God is. We can see even clearer the truth of who God is.